You know, let me tell you something about prayer. There's more promises given to the subject of prayer, given to prayer in the Bible, more promises regarding prayer than any single thing. So we're standing on an incredible foundation of promises when we go into the place of prayer. There's, there's more promises for the prayer than for any single thing. So it must be that God wants us to pray. How many of you believe that God really does answer prayer? But how many of you believe not usually in our time? How many of you have been frustrated with his timing? Come on. I mean, we want it when we want it, what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Amen? But God is not a fast food God. He marinates prayers. Amen? So one of the promises that I want to deal with today is the promise that God gives to the perseverer, to the one who perseveres in the place of prayer. As a matter of fact, Jesus dedicated an entire parable to teach us to pray and not quit. So I want to read that parable to you. Let's look at it quickly. Luke 18, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up or faint. Verse 2, he said, Now in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Sounds like our culture, right? Then, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, this lady was bad, as in tough. He's afraid she's going to attack him. And the Lord said, listen to what that unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Now, how many of you are saved in here? Uh, You believe that you have a relationship with Christ? All right. Now, if if, if you raise your hand, you're a chosen one. That is, you're, you're chosen. God knew you were coming to him before the foundation of the world. So this is to you. He says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night and night and day. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, listen to this last statement. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, that's a haunting question. And Jesus is insinuating that when he returns, faith is going to be a rare commodity. Faith. Because there's going to be a great apostasy, a great walking away from the faith once delivered to the saints. So Jesus is saying, when I come back, how, where, am I going to find faith in very many places? Now, how many of you want him to find faith in you? Amen. Find faith in you. Now, one way that faith is kept alive is by prayer, keeping those prayer fires burning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray you will bless it. We pray that you will honor it. Lord, I thank you that it won't return void. Now, Lord, I give you my heart, and I believe it's this congregation's heart, that you would increase our prayer life, that you would set a fire underneath us and within us 
a fire in our hearts, like the burning bush that Moses saw that burned, but it wasn't consumed. It was holy fire. Lord, put a holy fire, a holy, give us holy revelation today about prayer, which releases holy motivation to pray. Lord, put that fire in us that our prayer life would grow, would increase with intensity and fervency and effectiveness. I'm asking you, Lord, to literally birth a prayer movement in this church, which precedes, Lord, we know, a great move of your spirit, a move of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. Now, if it's your heart, church, that your prayer life be increased, pray with me and say, Lord, increase my prayer life. Put this fire in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll tell your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, I believe God heard that prayer. Amen. Amen. So good. Aren't you glad spring has sprung? Isn't it beautiful out there? Lap it up because before long, Texas heat is on the way. But I love spring because spring reminds me of new things. It's, it's uh, everything is blossoming, blooming. What looked like it was dead in wintertime is coming back alive. The birds are singing. The flowers are blooming. Have you seen the blue bonnets on the sides of the hills? It's just incredible. And, and it reminds me of what God wants to do in the lives of his people. He said, behold, I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing. He never says, hang on to the old stuff unless it's the old truths that are always new because they're always fresh. But see, God wants to do new things in our life. Behold, I will do a new thing. Shall you not recognize it, spot it, see it? I'm going to give you a road in the wilderness, and I'm going to give you springs in your desert. He does a new thing. Now, one of the ways he does a new thing is when we begin to pray like we haven't been praying for a while. Prayer launches new things. Amen? Now, I want to unpack this parable And just look at why Jesus gave it. Now, clearly, he gave it to encourage us to not quit praying. Now, if Jesus gave a whole parable for the sole purpose of us not quitting or fainting in our praying, then it must be we're inclined to do that or he would not have given it to us. And we are inclined to kind of pull back on prayer, get lukewarm in prayer, kind of let the uh, prayer fires burn low. We're we're inclined to kind of go soft on prayer because we get distracted with other things. Life happens while you're making other plans. You got to deal with this. You got to deal with that. Before you know it, your time is all chewed up and you just didn't make it to that prayer closet. So Jesus said, look, I want to teach you to pray and never give up. I don't want you to faint in your praying. I don't want you to put up the white flag. I don't want you to walk away in unbelief. I don't want you to get discouraged or disillusioned. I want you to hang with it until God breaks through on your life. So there must be something about prayer that sometimes it takes time. It takes longer than we thought it would. Or we wouldn't be inclined to faint. So his parable is teaching us that though our prayers might remain unanswered for a season... We should persevere and not grow weary and inwardly faint. Now, let me tell you, when you're the strongest you'll ever be, you are the strongest you will ever be in life when you're strong in here, when you're strong in your spirit, 
when you're strong in your interior life. The interior life, what goes on inside of you, is way more important than bulking up out here. All right? Now, now I, I, I think it's good to stay in shape. I think you need to take care of the body God gave you. But listen, it's as important, way more important, actually, that you stay in shape in here. Our culture is obsessed with out here, the appearances. But a godly person, a wise Christian, is focused on in here. Because you are as strong as your last time with God. We need to work on a strong interior life. It says about Jesus and John the Baptist, they grew mighty in spirit. Now notice it doesn't say strong physically. It says they grew mighty in their spirit man, in their inner man. They grew mighty. They grew up mighty. They grew up cultivating, feeding, strengthening their inner life. They were strong. That's why Jesus could go up against the devil and beat him. That's why John the Baptist could face critic after critic and not back down, not bow, not bend, not break. That's, that, that's what God is looking for in all of us. We need to focus on that inner man. That's why I'm always saying here like a broken record, we got to be in the word of God every day, but we also need to be in prayer. Jesus is telling us, look, don't faint in your prayer life. Paul said in Galatians, let us be weary in well-doing, or not be weary in well-doing. Let us not be weary in doing well, doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we faint not. There's that word again, if we faint not. Now, the word faint there means to lose your inner strength. It's when on the inside, you collapse. On the inside, you expire. On the inside, you sigh. And something in you on the inside gives up. And you, you faint on the inside. You, you might even still be in church. You come into church, you sit down, and, and you kind of half-heartedly sing the songs. And you're, you're here, but you're not. You're, your spirit is here, but, it, but, it's, but it's not. You have fainted. Something inside of you has given up. Something has made you quit. Something you have decided, I just can't continue in this fight of faith. And so on the inside, you may look great on the outside. You're dressed nice. You got your hair all slicked back. You got a nice dress or a nice, nice clothes on and, and, you, and you look good. But the interior life is hurting. Now, Jesus said, Jesus said, don't faint with your inner strength. The Proverbs say, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength was small. If you're in adversity, if, if life is tough on you right now, if you faint, then you didn't have good strength. Now, there is a way to stay strong in the interior life. There, there is a way to stay strong where you are always there for the battle. You're ready to fight the good fight. You are a victor. You are a conqueror. You are not giving up the, the battle. You are not picking up your marbles and going home. You're not leaving church, not leaving prayer, not leaving the word of God. There is a way to stay there. And here it is. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew. Everybody say renew. Now that means if you renew something, then something was there and then it ebbed. It went away and you're renewing it. You're bringing it back. So they, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew. 
their strength. You started to faint, but then you wrapped yourself around Jesus. You got into prayer. You got into the word of God. And now your strength is being renewed, renewed. And you've got a continual, unending, inexhaustible source of energy and strength. Look what it says. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will run, but they won't get weary. Wait a minute. What about that? How can you do that? What's that about? How can you run but not get weary? Because you've got a source that isn't of you or from you or by you. It's supernatural. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Now, then Isaiah observes something in life. He says, even the youths, the young men, the athletic, ripped young men, even they will faint and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord, who may not look so ripped on the outside, but on the inside, you are muscular. You are, you are strong because you've wrapped yourself around the Lord. Now, one way we wrap ourselves around the Lord is in the place of prayer. Don't faint on the inside, Jesus says. Don't lose your inner strength. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. They have a continual source of supernatural energy. Amen? Now, to illustrate this principle, Jesus gives us a story. And he says, let me tell you about a widow who had an enemy. Now, a widow in Jesus' day was in a real pickle, a real hard place. Because a widow was defenseless, typically. She was defenseless. Uh, She was vulnerable to manipulation, to being taken advantage of. She was in a bad place because the man was the provider. In those days, the man was the leader. Uh, The the man really was her source. And, And when the husband died and she became a widow, she was really left to all kinds of things that could take her down and, and take advantage of her. And it was not a good place to, to be. And, and this widow in Jesus' parable was no different because Jesus says she had an enemy. This widow had an enemy. Now, in Jesus' day, a great focus was put on helping widows. If you were right, if you were a just person, you helped widows. Even James said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless, the orphans, and the widows in their affliction, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Now, James, so James put a premium on helping widows. So here she is, and, and she's alone, and, and she's lost her husband, and she's in a real situation. Now, Jesus says she's got an enemy to make matters worse. She's got a real enemy. And the word enemy there, he uses the word adversary. Adversary comes from a Greek word that means accuser. She has an accuser. But when this word was used in Jesus' day, it generally had to do with an opponent in court. It's referring to a legal situation. So we can surmise here that Jesus is talking about a widow who was being taken to court in her vulnerable position by a man who had become an adversary to her. Now, I'm only guessing, but, but I think it's a good guess, that 
He was after what little she had left. She lost her husband. Maybe she had a little house. Maybe she had a few little belongings. And this man, this unscrupulous man, is attacking this widow, taking advantage of her, her, her vulnerable situation, and he's going after what she has left in court. So she's got a real problem. <clears throat> she is really under the gun. And, and not only that, but she finds herself terribly alone. Her husband had died, <clears throat> and we are not told of any children or extended family that's there to help her. She is totally isolated, totally alone, totally vulnerable, totally under it. And here comes this man, this adversary, and he's after what she's got left. She's looking at being completely destitute if he wins. So in her desperation, she decides to go ahead and enter the legal arena, and she goes in front of a judge. And as if things couldn't get worse, she finds herself before an unjust judge. Whoa. Talk about between a rock and a hard place. I got an enemy coming after me. He's more powerful than me. And I got a judge here who's not just. He's unjust. Really, he's a jerk. Because I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. You'll agree with me. We might just call him a jerk together. But Jesus knew how to paint a picture, didn't he? Now watch this. She goes before this judge knowing the premium that is put on helping widows in her day. So she expects justice from this man, this judge. She says to the judge appointed to her, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy, my adversary, my accuser. Give me justice. But Jesus says this judge is cold and heartless. Jesus paints him this way. In a certain town, there was a judge who didn't fear God and he didn't care what people thought. He's a winner. So you know what? This judge was essentially an atheist. He didn't fear God. He was at best an agnostic. He didn't fear God and he didn't care about people. And there he is, this wicked man in a place of power, legal power, And this woman encounters somebody who should care but doesn't care. The deck is totally stacked against her. She has an enemy trying to take everything she has, and she's got a judge who could care less than an enemy is trying to take everything she's got. Now, we're informed that the first meeting she had with him did not go well at all. As a matter of fact, her first meeting with him hurt. Because Jesus says the judge ignored her for a while. Now think about that. She's about to lose it all. She's got a major enemy. He's coming against her, an adversary in court. She goes before a judge. and She, she knows, you know, you're supposed to help widows. And she, she gives her case to him. And he does the worst thing he can do. I'd rather you tell me off than do what he did. Because the Bible says he ignored her. He ignored her. She she pours out her heart. She pours out her case. She gives him her situation. And he's treating her like, okay, go your way. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on now. You know, nothing is more frustrating than 
to have a great need for the right thing to be done on your behalf, only to be ignored by somebody who is supposed to help you. Being ignored hurts. Being ignored is painful. It it sent a painful message. Here she is. You're all I've got. Please help me. And he ignored her. You don't matter as a human being. That's what ignoring says. You don't matter as a human being. You don't matter. Uh, You have no value to me. Um, You're not worth my time. I don't care about you. Go your way. I got better things to do, other fish to fry. You're not important to me. Go on, get out of my sight. You don't matter. It's insulting, it's demeaning, it's hurtful, it's demoralizing to be ignored. To be ignored. To be treated like you're not there. To be treated like you don't matter. So to add insult to injury, this widow who's going through all the right channels for help, she's doing the right thing, she's taking the right track, she's ignored. Now she has a choice. Now listen, life's not fair. Jesus is painting a picture here where life was not fair to her. And you know what? Life's not fair. Can I just give you some news today? Life's not fair. If you don't know it yet, let me tell you, life's not fair. It's not fair. There's all kinds of times when life's not going to be fair to you and to me. I want you to say with me, life's not fair. Now let's add something to it, but God is good. Let's try it again. Life's not fair, but God is good. One more time. I like it. Life's not fair, but God is good. Amen. Amen. Now she says she's experiencing an unfairness, a tremendous unfairness. This judge is supposed to help her. He's not helping her at all. Now, she had a choice. Now, listen, we all have a choice of how we're going to respond to the unfairnesses of life. Because it's not what happens to you that matters most. Listen carefully to me. This is worth your trip to church today. It's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens. How we respond. Because we can't control jerks. We can't control mean people. We can't control manipulators. We can't control haters. We can't control people who treat us unfairly. We can't control the unfair things that happen in life, but we have all the control over how we respond to it. Have you ever noticed that much of Jesus' teaching teaches us how to respond to unfairness? Do good to those that hate you. Now, there's something unfair coming at me. I'm hated, but what did Jesus say? Do good. What did he say? He said, bless those that curse you. So here's somebody cursing me. That's not fair. You shouldn't be cursing me. That's not right. But guess what? I can't control your cursing mouth, but I can control my response to your cursing mouth. I can bless you. Pray for those who despitefully use you, take advantage of you, slight you, ignore you, pray for them. Now, notice that Jesus was teaching a response to adversity. He didn't say, I'm going to remove all the adversity for you, because he never did promise us a rose garden. 
But he said, I'm going to tell you how to respond so that it doesn't stick. See, he, he, he called us to be Teflon Christians. That is, you, you, you can try to offend me, you can treat me unfairly, but I've got a secret weapon, and it's the teachings of Jesus. So if you curse me, I'm going to bless you. And as soon as I do, that cursing slides off of me like Teflon. Right? I mean, so often he taught response to adversity. Now, now, now this woman had a choice in the unfairness of life. She could walk away hurt and angry and become a bitter and cynical old lady. One offense that we don't handle right can decide the direction of the rest of our entire life. If we don't respond the way Jesus taught, then, then we can really end up, though we're going to heaven one day, um, our face doesn't tell a great story. Our face is, is all furrowed in, in bitterness, shaped by anger, etched by unforgiveness. Let me tell you something. Forgiveness can do what Maybelline could never dream of. Are you ready? It's true. And I know Maybelline's probably not the best, but it's all I remember. But here's the deal. See, see, righteous living, when you keep your heart free, it does good things for your looks. That's free. Now, she could have walked away hurt and angry and become a bitter, cynical old woman. We know them. We've seen them. They're in our life somewhere. Bitter, cynical old man. Bitter, cynical old woman. Way back when... Something happened to them and they never got over it, never got past it, never got around it, never got under it, never got through it. Or she could have become a lifelong victim with the attitude, life's against me, why try? See, I don't want to ever be a victim. I want to be a victor. Jesus did not call me to be a victim. He called me to be a victor. Now listen carefully to me. Victimhood is chosen. You say, no, Jeff, I have been victimized. Well, of course you have. So did Joseph. But Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I am not going to walk around bitter the rest of my life. Come on, everybody. Give God praise. This is true. I mean, he was wronged over and over again. And what about our Lord Jesus? Taken through kangaroo court, his beard plucked out, thorns pressed down on his sacred head, nailed to a tree for you and me for doing absolutely nothing wrong. He was the most righteous man to ever walk the earth, and yet they crucified him. Yet did he, did he die a victim? No. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, our nation has become a nation of victims, and I hate it, because nobody's a victim unless you choose victimhood. I am not going to choose victimhood. I am going to choose victorhood. I am a victor. I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Come on, everybody. She could have become a victim and carried that chip on her shoulder the rest of her life, but she didn't. She had one more option. She could fight back. But then you go, wait a minute. How could she fight back? Because she had no power. She had no money. She had no influence. She had no support. How could this widow fight back? 
Why didn't she just go ahead and become a victim? Here's how she could fight back. And this is the, the, the message of the whole parable. She had one weapon at her disposal, perseverance. Perseverance. Can we say it together? Perseverance. She could keep going back to him until he acted on her behalf. And Jesus says she chose the latter. She kept coming back, getting in his face, bringing her case before him, demanding action. She said, you're not going to ignore me, dude. You're supposed to take care of me. You're supposed to give me justice. And you're, I'm not going to let you ignore me. Now, the King James Version calls this kind of persistence importunity. Importunity means you importune somebody. And and, and when you are importuning somebody, what it means is shameless persistence or unembarrassed boldness. I love that. Shameless persistence. I'm going to keep coming back because my case is righteous. I'm going to keep coming back because my cause is just. I'm going to keep coming back. I am not going to let you ignore me until you do something on my behalf. You are not going to shame me into the shadows. I'm coming back, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to come back with no shame, no embarrassment. I'm not going to have my head tucked staring at the floor. I'm coming back. Until you act on my behalf. And it worked. Oh, it worked. It's a, I love the way Jesus put it. Jesus says the unjust judge who didn't care about God or her finally said this to himself. I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me crazy. That's the New Living Translation. That's a real translation. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Now Jesus makes the application. The master storyteller brings it home now. And he says, let me tell you what all this meant. Then the Lord said, if even an evil judge can be worn down like that, don't you think that God will surely give justice to his people? who plead with him day and night? Yes, he will. Come on, church. Yes, he will. Everybody say, yes, he will. That's what Jesus said. He said, yes, he will answer them. See, he's drawing a parallel between two extremes. You have an unjust judge over here who doesn't care about God or men. You have a God who loves us so much he gave his only begotten son. He didn't withhold his only son from us. But his only son hung on that cross, spilled innocent blood, died an agonizing death, took our sin upon himself, and God watched it. How much does God love you? more than you can ever imagine or fathom or comprehend in your wildest dreams. We can't plumb the depths of it, the heights of it, the breadth of it. We'll never fully know it until we go to heaven. For when we see him, we will know even as we have been known. But until then, we're seeing through a glass darkly and not face to face. But when we realize how much God loved us, it's going to blow our resurrected minds. This is why Jesus taught, ask and keep on asking. 
This is the Amplified Bible, but it's, it's telling us what the original language, the, the way the verb tense really put it. it. Ask and keep on. Everybody say keep on. Now, this is the, what we know. We know this verse on prayer, but this is what it really says. Ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking and receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. That's about perseverance in prayer. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to close with this. You're thinking, well, Jeff, why does God, why all the drama? Why do we have to keep praying for something? Why doesn't he just do it the first time? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to give you three, three quick reasons. One, it could be spiritual warfare. You're involved in spiritual warfare. Devil is fighting your prayers in the unseen spiritual realm, which is where he operates. There's three heavens in the Bible. One is the earthly atmosphere, and it's the first heaven. The second heaven is where spiritual wickedness operates, Paul said, in heavenly places. It's where warfare is waged through prayer and intercession. It's where the battles, it's the battlefield of the spiritual arena, the second heaven. The third heaven is where God's throne is and where his will is perfectly done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, the third heaven. The second heaven. Sometimes when you start praying, you don't know it, but you're praying for something so toxic to the devil that he tries resisting your prayer and stopping it in the second heaven. And the reason you've got to persevere is you've got to keep throwing logs on that prayer fire until the answer comes. Amen. Amen. There's another reason you need to persevere, and that is God's preparing the answer for you. Some of you are praying for something. God can't just, uh, in a minute, give it to you or in your time frame, give it to you because God's got to get people in place, circumstances in place, put the scenario in place, get the whole context ready for you to receive the answer of that prayer. It's not just an overnight thing. You need to persevere because God is preparing an answer for you. Let me tell you something. Some of the things you are praying for right now, God is setting the stage in ways that you can't see, you can't know, but he's doing it right now. How many of you have ever walked into a situation where God finally answered a prayer and you realized, wow, he was putting all these different things together for, for, before I could really receive this prayer? The right people, the right job, the right door, the right this, the right that. He was getting it all together. A third reason is God is preparing you for your answer. Because some of you are praying for something that if God gave it to you when you want him to, it would mess you up. Here's why. Because we need to mature some, grow up spiritually, gain some humility, get some experience under our belt before God can answer it or an answer prayer could ruin us. We all know this who have had kids. Daddy, I want a shotgun. Let's try a BB gun first. I don't like the idea of you as a five-year-old carrying a shotgun around. Let's grow up some. It's a good prayer. It's okay. You're just not ready for it, and neither am I. 
right? Delay doesn't mean denial. Delay is sometimes God's way to get you ready for the answer and the answer ready for you. So we persevere. Can we stand together today? Amen. How many of you have got some prayers and you know, you know something is cooking in heaven's oven? Come on. You know something is cooking. <laughs> I do. I've got some things up there. It's turkey and dressing. Hot rolls, green beans, potatoes, pumpkin pie. It's all up there, spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking. So, you know, God's not a fast food God. and He marinades. He does. But do you trust him? And do you see why we need to persevere? So Jesus, let's say it together. He taught them. Men ought always to pray and not give up. So let's lift our hands to the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're a prayer-answering God. We worship you, Lord. How good you are. How wise you are with us. Help us, Lord, to not have a fainting heart, but a staying heart, a persevering heart. Even those circumstances may be opposite of what we're praying for. Help us, Lord, to look to the promise-er and the promise and not the circumstances. We trust you, Lord. Now, whatever it is that you've been having to persevere about, I believe this message probably helped you to stay with it. And, and if you're persevering for something, lift your hands high and just say, today I receive this word. I will not faint. I will not give up. My God is hearing me. He's moving on my behalf in the name of Jesus. Amen.